five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Atlanta Rhythm Section. Imaginary lover. You're mine. So when I first heard that song, I thought it was about um, a guy who was kind of just into jerking off. Right? He has this imaginary lover. He can have her anytime he wants. He talks about it being at midnight. And... Um, he can conjure up any lover in his mind. But then the song changes and then the, the imaginary lover becomes real. So it goes from a song about uh, wanking to a real partner. That imaginary lover takes the flesh. Actually, uh, an interesting band because they, they show up in the yacht genre, but they're, they're not from the yacht world. You know, they're not from L.A. L.A. is really sort of the ground zero of, of Yacht. David Foster, Jay Graydon, uh, Becker and Fagan, right? All those guys, plus a number of other people. Herb Albert, George Benson, they're all living in L.A. Beach Boys are from L.A. Yacht, the genre is an L.A. thing. You know, coming out of kind of singer-songwriter, um, soft rock, that world. That's where it was all happening. But Atlanta Rhythm Section is not from LA. And they have that song, plus they have another one song, which is on my list. Now that song made my list last night. If you don't know about my list, it is up to 80 songs now. Deep Yacht, it's over on YouTube. And if you like this music, you can just play that list. It's gotten over a thousand views so far, which is pretty good for just putting together a list. Anyway, I added Imaginary Lover, the studio version, to the, uh, to the yacht, yacht playlist, the Deep Yacht playlist, and a few others. Um, I tried to go out of bounds a little bit. You know, you, when you, you get really close to going out of bounds, you don't, re- it's like, it's like, you're kind, you're kind of like bending the, there's a whole, there should be other genres. When, when, when the, when the, uh, when the weather turns and it will turn, trust me, uh, I'll do dark yacht. And some of you more sad people out there might actually like that. It's a bit of a different genre. It's still kind of yachty, but the skies are getting darker. So I, w- I went on this 70s kick a long time ago. And I'm going to look at the Atlanta Rhythm Section band profile in a second. But I wanted the 70s kick. Shit. 
while back and I just started plugging in all these 70 songs that I really, really liked. I didn't really care what, what, what the genre, I didn't care if they were yacht rock or not, but it was kind of like this melange. And there were bands like Climax Blues Band were on there. Um, the Ozark Mountain Daredevils, that song Jackie Blue, which I really like. I always liked that song as a kid. And what's weird about that song is that if you listen to the rest of the Ozark Mountain Daredevils, they sound nothing like that. They're like an electric hillbilly washboard band. I'm like, what the fuck? How did you come up with this song? Right, it must have been right after they signed that deal with the devil. You know, they signed the contract. He goes, here you go, Jackie Blue, that's for me. That's from me to you. Enjoy. Enjoy the hit. You can thank me later. Because the rest of the music sounds nothing like that. And even the Climax Blues Band, you know, they don't... Is this the Climax Blues Band? No, it's just the Climax Blues Band. Um, anyway, they sound nothing like that. The, 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 the one big hit they had. Um, anyway, let's look at uh, the Atlanta Rhythm section. Let's look at their profile. Let's get their story. Um, by the way, the, the lead singer, he needed some extra moves. Like, he, you know, there's that awkward moment where the band is playing. The band is really tight. Um, and he's like forced to dance. And I've seen this with Southern rock bands before. Like one time I, I saw this band Point Blank growing up as a kid. I think I saw them twice. The first time I saw them, they opened for Kiss and Bob Seger. It was my second rock and roll show. It was at the Oakland Coliseum. And the lead singer did the same thing. He, Point Blank is a Southern band. And they, he turned his back to the audience and started shaking his ass. In the morning, that's like a Southern rock move. I'll turn my back to the audience so I don't have to realize that somebody's doing something that I'm not doing, i.e. playing an instrument, and I'll just shake my ass. That guy did the same thing. Slower, though. But, but I was thinking, what could he do in those moments? Now, there are two instrumental breaks in that song. And I thought to myself, in the first instrumental break, he could turn his back to the audience and he like put his arms around him like this, like he was, like somebody was like um, hugging him and he could, be, he could be sort of dancing, right? With his imaginary lover. You know, David Bowie used to do that. And I thought that would, that would have been a cool thing, right? Like he could have had this imaginary lover and sort of doing this little waltz. But then there was the second instrumental break and you can't do the same thing twice because it's like you already did that. And I thought if, during a second instrumental break, if I were him, I would have sat down on the drum riser and not done anything and just looked kind of forlorn. That's what I would have done. Those would have been my moves if I had been in that song, but I wasn't. Good voice though, guys got a good voice and they were tight, they could play. Um, Let's find out a little bit about the Atlanta Rhythm section today. Known as ARS, Southern Rock Band, founded in 1970 by Rodney Justo. That's the singer. Barry Bailey on guitar, Paul Goddard, or Goddard on bass. Dean Doctrine on keyboards, Robert Nix on drums, and J.R. Cobb on guitar. The band's current lineup consists of still around of Justo, along with guitarist David Anderson and Steve Stone. Keyboardist Lee Sheely, bassist Justin Senker, and drummer Roger Steffen. In the spring of 1970, three uh, former members of the Candyman, that was their name, 
Rodney Justo, Dean Daughtry, and Robert Nix, and the Plastics Four. Oh, that's like Dennis Yost in the Plastics Four. Remember that band? I believe they did the track Stormy. By the way, Atlanta Rhythm Section does a pretty good version of Spooky. Didn't Dennis Yost in the Plastics Four cover that? I think they might have. Um, after playing on other artists' records, the Atlanta Rhythm Section was christened in May 1970 with Justo, singer, Bailey guitar, and Paul Goddard, bass, Daughtry vocals, Nick's drums, and cop guitar. Bailey and Goddard had played together in several groups and, like the Candyman, had also backed up Roy Orbison. So these guys could play a little bit. The group's name was brought, uh, thought up by Studio One's owner, Buddy Bowie, and his two partners in the venture, Cobb and Bill Lowry, signed by Decca Records. The band released the first album, Atlanta Rhythm Section, in January 1972. Due to the record's limited commercial success, Justo quit the band. Relocated New York as a session singer, he was replaced by Ronnie Hammond, assistant to Studio One engineers, Studio One's engineer Rodney Mills. Mills also later worked as the band's road manager and sound man, and Bowie, also the band's manager and producer as well, as co-owner of Studio One, blah, 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 blah. Okay, Bowie's manager, Jeff Franklin, who was based in New York and had gotten uh, the group, uh, the deal with Deck, was able to get ARS signed to Polydor for their third release, third annual Pipe Dream in August 1974. As a special thank you to Bailey, uh, Daughtry, and Goddard, or Goddard, uh, for appearing on his 1970 Christian rock album, Mylon, We Believe. That's uh, Mylon Lefay, I believe. Who, had, who I think collaborated with Alvin Lee. Alvin Lee became a born-again Christian, Alvin Lee for 10 years after. I performed on one of the Pipe Dream tracks, Jesus Hearted People. You know, this is around the, this is around the time Neptune is going into Sagittarius astrologically. And there's a lot of heavy, like Jesus energy that's being, I've talked about this a lot on my Sunday night show. There's a, there's a lot of, you know, heavy Christian energy and Jesus energy. And, you know, not long after that, the Doobie Brothers would come out with Jesus is just all right with me. Um, there's like this electric Kool-Aid Jesus and uh, electric Kool-Aid Jesus is man of the year with Time magazine. It's a really interesting time. So, I mean, they're kind of, you know, in that mix with that sound. Um, let's see. What else? We had Jesus Hearted People, Bowie, Bailey Goddard, Daughtry, and Rodney Mills had all been regular players at Master Sound, LaFay Studio, LaFay Sound, before they built Studio One. Pipe Dream yielded the band's first single, Doraville, which peaked at number 35 and pulled the album up to number 74 in Billboard's Top 200. The band's next two releases, Dog Days and Red Tape, sold in even lesser qualities. But ARS toured extensively in 1975. 1976 with numerous shows in the South, Northeast, and Midwest. On July 18th, the band appeared with the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra during an outdoor show in Atlanta in Chastain Park in August. The opening for The Who at the Gator Bowl in Jacksonville, Florida, and for the Rolling Stones at the Municipal Auditorium in West Palm Beach, Florida. Uh, the increased exposure paid off as the group's next album, The Rock and Roll Alternative, this over 1970, was number 13 on the Billboard chart, was certified gold in spring 1977. The debut single for the record, So Into You, peaked at number seven on April 30th. That's a great song. They have a good sound. On September 3rd, 1977, ARS played their biggest show yet, the Dog Day Rock Fest at Atlanta's Grant Field on the campus of Georgia Tech. Hart and Foreigner were the opening acts, and Bob Seeger and the Silver Bullet Band 
co-headlining. That'd be a pretty good show, I think. Bob Seger is great. Well, he, he retired. Bob Seger Live was really phenomenal. He was a fantastic performer. And um, Foreigner, you know, there are some Foreigner songs that are considered yacht rock. Can you believe that? A lot of band that I was really, I mean, Foreigner is one of those groups where you listen to their music and it feels like the first time is actually a really fucking great song. And, I, and they played the shit out of that on radio. And you would think that I would be sick of it, but I'm not. I, th I think it's a really good song. And then that, that four record was a masterpiece. Then they brought in what, Junior Walker to play a saxophone. Man, that was a masterpiece record. All right, let's see what else we have here with um, Atlanta Rhythm Section. In January 1978, ARS released what turned out to be, what turned out to be its most successful album, Champagne Jam. We're off with the song Large Time, a tribute to Leonard Skinner, some of whom had lost their lives in a plane crash. Previous October, Champagne Jam, their biggest selling album, selling over a million in certified platinum. The album provided two more hits for the band, Imaginary Lover, which reached number seven, and I'm Not Gonna Let It Bother Me Tonight, which reached number 14. On June 24, 1978, the band appeared at the Nebworth Festival, Nebworth, England, for a crowd of 60,000. On a bill that included Genesis, Jefferson Starship, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, Brand X, Devo, and Roy Hart Harper. Boy, that is an eclectic bill. Right there. On July 1st, 1978, they played before more than 80,000 at Texas Jam. This was two X's, by the way. And that was at the Cotton Bowl in Dallas with Walter Egan, who is kind of a yacht rock staple, Van Halen, Eddie Money. Now, is Eddie Money on the yacht? That's a good question. Head East, there's another very kind of interesting little Southern band. I think we're gonna have to do a, another playlist, like just Southern, we won't call it Southern Yacht, because Head East is not a, a yacht rock band. They, they, like, they actually rock pretty hard. I'm gonna have to do like Swamp Yacht. I'm gonna have to do a Swamp Yacht playlist with just nothing but kind of groovy, funky, down and dirty southern rock bands. I was going through the uh, Neville Brothers catalog last night, trying to, I was crate digging on YouTube, trying to find like an obscure yacht rock gem if I could find one. And um, I was listening to the Neville Brothers catalog and it occurred to me that the Neville Brothers catalog is pretty dark. Like their fucking music is dark. They're, they're just even the, the stylings like, uh, Aaron Neville, who has such a great voice, you know, has this kind of gospel sound to his voice, but it's dark, right? It's like kind of dark and bluesy. There's a lot, there's a lot of uh, like ballads in the Neville Brothers catalog, a lot of love stuff. Every now and then, then they get into the Zydeco thing, which is definitely not yacht, but they have a version of Fly Like an Eagle with uh, the Steve Miller song, which is really cool but it's not yet. I went into the Bruce Hornsby catalog last night, crate digging for Bruce Hornsby. Um, and there's some cool records in the Bruce Hornsby catalog. Bruce Hornsby's really talented. He suffers a little bit from Christopher Crossism in that he's a little hard to look at. You know what I mean? I mean, it's like, he's not, Chris, Christopher, excuse me, Christopher Cross was video killed the radio stars. That song, by the Bubbles is about Christopher Cross. 
Because he comes down, he's like, dude, I'm not sure I want to go on the yacht with you. And that's too bad, actually, because radio created imagination. You filled in the blanks, and you didn't really care how Christopher Cross looked. You cared about how he sounded and where the music was taking you. Didn't matter if he was, you know, this kind of pudgy-looking insurance salesman guy. Uh, Didn't matter. But it killed him. It killed killed his career, unfortunately. Here's a little Christopher Cross trivia. Apparently, he's such a good guitarist that Steely Dan actually wanted him to play on one of their records. Now, that is an honor. And he declined. He's probably smart. Because it's, it's getting... If you played in a Steely Dan session, there was no guarantee that your track was going to be used, your, your piece was going to be used on their, on their record. Like there was um, the guitar solo for Peg. They had like 10 guitarists play that solo. I've seen the documentary where they're breaking it down. And finally they chose Jay Graydon's solo. So Christopher Cross, I think, is probably pretty sensitive. And he's like, no, I'm not going to show up and play my heart out and then they're going to leave my solo. And he doesn't need to. Like a guy like Larry Carlton is not Christopher Cross. Christopher Cross was getting a shit ton of money off his uh, royalties for sailing and where I'd like to win. He doesn't need it. Larry Carlton probably needs the work. He's like, I'll go down there. I'll, you know, I'll make, you know, I'll make my scale or whatever background fade and we're paying him. And he does matter at that point. Right, he's just getting paid. Whether they use it or not, it's not a big deal. Christopher Cross, the stakes were a little higher. All right, let's go back to this uh, Texas Jam thing. Walter Egan, Van Halen, Eddie Money, Head East, Journey, Hart, Ted Nugent, Aerosmith, Mahogany Rush, and Cheech and Chong. That's when they, I guess, they did comedy live on stage at rock concerts. And uh, 19, August 26, 1978, it was Canada Jam at Mossport Park in Bowmanville, Ontario, Canada, before their largest audience yet, over 110,000 people. Now this is a yacht show with the Doobie Brothers and the Commodores. And early Commodores are, are yacht. In fact, I have Sail On, which is a Commodore track on my yacht list, my yacht. Uh... The following week, ARS had a rock festival of their own, Champagne Jam. I bet Robin knows all about this. This is like in his geographic territory in Wheelhouse uh, at Grandfield in Georgia, uh, Georgia Tech on September 3rd, 1978, which included Santana, the Doobie Brothers, Eddie Money, somebody named Mose Jones, and Mother's Finest. Three weeks later, they appeared at the White House lawn at Jimmy Carter's invitation for his son Chip, son Chip's. 28%. Did, did you know Jimmy Carter has something chip? I guess so. Right? Amy was always getting the headlines. I didn't, you know, I guess there was a chip in there. So they invited him. They invited ARS to the White House. How about that? Uh, the band had previously played uh, Matt Carter while he was still governor of Georgia during a press junket for their third album and it had campaigned for him. We won't hold that against them. In 1976, during his run for the presidency, uh, the 8th Atlanta Room Section album, Underdog, was released in June 1979 and produced top 20 hits, Do It or Die, number 19, and Spooky. 
Number 17, a remake of Cobb and Bowie's 1968 Classics 4 hit. See, there's the Classics 4 connection. And I bet I, that's an interesting move, right? Because I, I bet they've got some songwriting credits on the original Spooky. So let's just cover this and we'll do our version of it and we'll get paid again. That's pretty smart. Very smart. Um, in early 1978, drummer Robert Nix, the group's primary lyricist. So the drummers, the writer, all you drummers out there, pay attention. Had a falling out with manager, producer Bowie over the group's musical direction. Nix wished to move the band into a more rocking direction. While Bowie was content with their current approach, which incorporated the mellow ballads, the rest of the band's dissatisfaction with Nix's excessive lifestyle choices sealed his, still was the fucking drummer. It's always the drummer. And he was replaced by Roy Yeager, who previously played for Lobo. Me and you and a dog named Boo. Lobo's not Yacht Rock, by the way. Champagne Jam number two on July 7th, 1970, Georgia Tech featured ARS, ARS. So they're running their own concerts. These guys were smart. Like they had a little mafia. They had their band, they had their manager, uh, producer, they were they were like a they were like a little mafia. That's cool. Aerosmith, the Cars, Dixie Drags, Mother's Finest, and Whiteface. That October, an ARS live performance from Studio One was released as the double live set. Are you ready? Besides the group's hits and popular tracks up to that time, the album also contained fan favorite "Another Man's Woman." So there is the decline and the departure of ARS. All things must pass. In August 1980, ARS performed three concerts in Japan alongside Cheap Trick and other acts as part of Japan Jam. There's a lot of jamming going on. Late 70s, early 80s. The boys from Doraville showed a steep falling off in sales for the group as radio programmers began turning away, turning their attention away from Southern rock to other rock genres. That's a shame. Such as New Wave. The album provided no hit singles and was their last for Polydor. Another reason for the drop-off in sales may have been the departure of their advocate, uh, Arnie Geller from Polydor in 1977 to form the Bowie Geller organization and BGO Records with Buddy Bowie. As a result, the group departed Polydor, which led to a breach of contract lawsuit from the company was later settled in the band's favor. So they did okay, I guess. Bruce Lundvall offered a better deal at Columbia Records to release the next ARS album, Quinella, in August 1981, containing the hit Alien, but like the boys from Doraville, struggled with sales. So they hit the 80s, and like a lot of bands, um, they're just not able to make that, that transition. And it's a transition. There, there's a transition with these decades. Anyway, there's a little uh, land rhythm section. They actually had a pretty... So I bet they made a lot of money. If their manager tried, I, again, I didn't go all the way through. Maybe their manager fucked them over. But um, they made a lot of money. Let's see. Anything else here? Uh, I, just, I, get, I get fascinated with stuff like this. Uh, okay, so death of former members. R.J. Vealy died. Ronnie Hammond. He died in 2011. Heart failure. Robert Nix. That was the drummer died in May 2012. Paul Goddard died. All these guys are dead now. Buddy Bowie, he's dead. J.R. Cobb is dead. 
Barry Bailey, dead uh, 2022. So Justo, Steve Stone, the only guy that is an original member is Rodney Justo. He's still around. There are bands now who do not have original members and they tour. Like, that's not the band. That is not the band. I'll tell you who does that is Foreigner. And they had Mick Jones and a bunch of young guys. So you see, had Mick Jones. But then I think he left. So there's no original members of Foreigner. They're like a fucking cover band now. You won't get that here. You will not get that here. You will not get a cover band on this show. There will not be a cover version of me. I guarantee you that. If there is a cover version of me, it'll be me being a cover version of me, and you'll know it. It'll be me doing me, but not doing me. That's kind of weird. Anyway, a uh, little bit of a long intro there, but welcome to the show, everybody. If you're on the podcast side of things, welcome to that as well. We're really taking off on the podcast side. I'm happy about that. I got a bunch of badges now. I feel so proud with my badges. You know, you get badges, they give you these little awards on the uh, podcast side of things. I got, I got a badge for 10,000 downloads. I got a badge for having streamed in 50 countries or more, which is true. And everybody listening internationally, thank you. I hope you continue. Ivory, the Ivory Coast dropped off. I must have said something they didn't like. I'll tell you who's rising in the rankings is Germany. Germany and UK, you're kind of right there. You're getting real close. So hats off to Germany. Good for you guys. Um, so welcome to the show. We're gonna talk about Nancy Pelosi today. I got some thoughts about potentially why she's there and some of the fallout, but there's a lot of other shit happening. Before I, I go into the, before I go into the sewer mining for pearls, um, let, me, uh, let me hang out in Chataria. And as they say in the South, give y'all some love. All right, who do we have here? You know what I was thinking we could do? I'm just thinking a little outside the box here. I'd really like to do this. Hall and Oates are playing a show in October. I know it's right after the event. In Elko, Nevada. Wouldn't it be fun at a casino in Elko, Nevada to meet in Elko, Nevada and, and go watch Hall and Oates? Because they can still play. Daryl Hall sells some chops. He's kind of an asshole, but he has chops. He can still sing. John Oates has the chops. And I bet you they have a good band. And that'd be fun. I ain't fun. Go hang out elbow. Lose a bunch of money gambling. Right. Buy cocaine from truck stop hookers in Elko. Just kidding about that. I actually had an experience in Elko, Nevada one time. That's, a, that's another tale for another story, another day. Uh, let's see, we got, uh, I talked about Michael. Michael's here. 
Empath. I don't know how much more of this squeeze I can take. Oh, you can hang in there, brother. Just hang in there. At some point, the yacht will pull in and we'll be back to uh, way more uh, intense, furious, introspective, musically complex songs. Uh, let's see. Wendy's here. Empath is here. We talked about Empath. Ryan, my man TJ, what's going on, Tom? Wendy says, Garrett Brooks, good morning to you. Uh, look at that. One of my favorite songs. Look at that. At 9-11 a.m., I touch, I, I click in with, with uh, Michael Paffer. Beautiful. I like that. Um, let's see. C.C. Jones, definitely yacht. It is yacht. That is a yacht track. I'm telling you. Yes, Tom's presence is required in Chaptoria. I totally agree. You're all required. Uh, why is it I, people always have to call when Robert is on? It's, 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 it's the devil. It's the devil's way of distracting you from what's important in your life. It happens all the time. See, look at that. JMP, when he says the devil makes him do it. See? Look at that. I didn't even see that comment. I did not even see that comment. And the great Wendy says and I were on the same psychic wavelength. High five, sister. Right there. Kelly B's here. What's going on, Kelly B? There's my man, Mark S. Mark, I'm going to reach out to you today. I got a little, little prepositione for you. Mark, the uh, incredibly talented caricaturist and cartoonist and healer. Love that guy. Um, who else do we have? There was some cool. Queen Lisa, the weather has been spectacular. Oh, I'm so happy. Somebody's having spectacular weather. The weather here has been spectacularly dystopic. This could be a Little River Band song. It could be, but the Atlantic Rhythm section has a deeper bottom end. It must be the rhythm section part than the Little River Band. For me, the Little River Band is what I would call light in the fanny. And they could, you know, was it, uh, reminiscing. Reminiscing could make the list. Reminiscing could make the list. My problem with the Little River Band is I always lump them into air supply. And no matter how much I'm embracing the songwriting, the craft, the sentiment of this prior time, I can't, I can't hug your supply. I just can't, I can't do it. All right, who else do we have? Beth B is here. I think reminiscing probably, I, look, I put Orleans on the deep yacht list last night against my better judgment, but I had to. Still the one is on the list. It, it is on, it's gotta make the list. I had a few choices last night. I had a, I had a Chakra Khan song on there for about five minutes and then I took it off. Close, but not young. Uh, who else do we have? Um, yeah, they did. We talked about that, Hufflebuck. They did a very good version of Spooky. I pr prefer imaginal to imaginary. Imaginal lover. I, I, I think Steve is probably just, he says, all right, I'm gonna show up after the first five minutes, so I missed that insipid 70s stuff that Robert was playing. 
Because I know what Steve likes. And Steve and I have very similar music ta musical tastes. Um, Yachopia. I, I like that, Beth B. I like that. Look at that. Tom throws out the Deep Yacht playlist. You're the man, Tom. Um, upbeat Song Request. Walk Between the Raindrops. I'm going to check it out. Walk Between the Raindrops. I'll check it out. How about dingy rock? What, was, what would dingy rock sound like? I don't know. I'd have to think about that. Cheap imitation? I don't know. You know, I'll tell you whose catalog I was checking out last night. was Jennifer Warrens. I'm like, you know, does Jennifer Warrens have a hidden Yacht Rock gem in there somewhere? And she has got the weirdest fucking catalog. I think she's Canadian. And by the way, this is no slam on Canadians. I played a Canadian band yesterday, which I thought was great. Chili Whack was great. But Jennifer Warrens, you go back and you look at the beginning of her catalog, and she's, she's a folky. She's kind of like a Joni Mitchell, um, Joan Baez sort of clone. She has a nice voice. Um, defies kind of this... Because even when you look at artists like uh, Yvonne Elman or Linda Ronstad, you know, they're actually theoretically attractive women, right? They're like, oh yeah, she's attractive. She's very feminine. Amy Lou Harris, attractive, feminine. Jennifer Warrens is not attractive, feminine. Like Jennifer Warrens is a candidate for the LGBTQ plus AI team. You just kind of look at her and go, oh, what's going on with her? That's a different kind of look for the time. And then she gets into this like weird ballad period with, um, Bill Medley, and has that massive hit from Dirty Dancing. I mean, massive. She could have retired from that, probably, if she had a little bit of uh, action on the mechanicals, because that record sold so much money, and gets played over and over again. So you can see she's kind of going from this folk kind of thing to going into this kind of bigger, you know, songwriter, ballady, She's going, she's going for the pop brass ring. Then all of a sudden she does a cover of Leonard Cohen songs. And the record is um, uh, Blue Raincoat, I believe, which I actually own. It's a fucking great record. And then she kind of goes into this kind of, you know, semi-dark electronic, you know, atmosphere. So I don't know, maybe Daniel Lanois produced the record. I don't know. I don't know who produced it. But she's got this weird kind of like, catalog and then last year she did a, a video which i ran across and it was she was singing some uh i think old negro spiritual and she was putting together all these images of maybe she's an american now because she said that she was going to vote anyway she's putting all these images together of having to heal the country and bring the country back together. Then she's going to vote for the right candidate who's going to help heal the country. And I'm like, okay, I know where Jennifer Warren's eventually wound up. Uh, woke, woke Methodist University. That's where she wound up. Uh, we got Maurice here today. Um, let's see. If you want to go to heaven, you got to raise a little help. Yacht Boy. 
Mm, yeah, Yahweh here. Who else do we have? This is Yahweh Robin. Um, let's see. Stealing from Cheech and Chong. More moves than x -Latix. Cheech and Chong was responsible for my uh, introduction into drugs. Let's see. Thor to door. What's going on, Steve? Good to see you. Yeah, Robin is, I think, Yacht Boy. Great band. Robin, you can run, but you can't hide. See, we smelled them out, didn't we? Beth B, I hear you knocking. Spooky, Dusty Springfield classic. Steve, always going for the left field version. I, I respect that. I totally respect that. 10 years after, I'd love to change the world. That is a great song. It's a totally great song. 10 years after, I'd love to change the world. Great song. Juice for Jesus was big right around the same time. I remember that. They were fucking aggressive. You ever talk to one of those Juice for Jesus people? They were fucking aggressive. If you brought up anything, like I remember talking to one of these guys and I was, I was going through my, you know, cosmic Christ phase and this whole, you know, looking at this whole thing from a different perspective. And I talked to one of these Jews for Jesus guys on the street. I thought he was going to strangle me. Doraville, like the song. Right on, Tondar. I'm going to have to look up Doraville now. Yeah, Foreigner's an interesting band. That four album, I think, is really good. Um, let's see, who else do we have? Play Freebird. That was always the thing at, at a concert, right? You just yell that out. Big pool party birthday bash scheduled for my daughter on Saturday. More key people popping positive, and now the weather is looking bad. We can't get a refund either. Fun times. Kelly B, just roll out the yacht, baby. Roll the yacht out. It won't matter. Janine is here. What's going on, Janine? Kabuki Theater. ARS was an all-star. Man, there is some love for ARS going on here. Timothy Hartfeld. Good morning, Timothy. Uh, let's see. Swamp Yacht. Yeah, we've got to have a Swamp Yacht category. Pluto's affecting my life in a get-it-done kind of way. Good. Urgency with Pluto. Eddie is good, but I can't stand watching him. He is a dog. No offense to his fans. Eddie, God bless you. Rest in peace. Pluto is dancing across my ascendant. It is an ongoing process. In Capricorn, when you have a kid, that's all about growing up, right? It's like, sorry, no more fucking around for you. You're a dad. Get with it. That's Capricorn. If you have Pluto and Scorpio, like I did on my ascendant, that's eh, a different story. Um, let's see. Anna and Sophia, love Bob Seger, Foreigner, and Kansas. Kansas is one of those bands that elicits devotion, hardcore devotion from people. Uh, let's see, who else do we have here? Dust in the Wind. Dust in the Wind is an American radio classic, but it's not yacht worthy. It's too sad. It's like fucking death. You're talking about death. You don't want to talk about death on a yacht. 
that's the first, that's like, you know, if you're out on a yacht, it is, I don't know, a few hours of um, conscious denial. That's what it is. It's a few hours of conscious denial. You are transcending. It's actually a spiritual act. Like yacht is, yacht is a spiritual practice. You have to transcend the mundane nature of yacht and get to the higher level. And when you get to that level, you're into um, Bobby McFerrin territory. Don't worry, be happy. Which is a Mayor Baba expression. That's the, that is the, the higher latitudes of Yod. We can't have songs about, for that period of time, you pull into the dock and then, you know, driving home, you throw a little dust in the wind on the way home so you can move on. Uh, let's see, how was Jasper, Holly Beth? Jasper, he's doing better. You know, he came into uh, the bedroom today and um, he climbed up on the bed and he put his head under the nook of my arm and he was, you know, he was cool. Jasper will be back. Met Eddie Money, uh, pre-concert, Layden's Crits to see Pines. He was mighty sauced and stumbled through. Eddie struggled with alcohol and drugs. Eddie Mahoney had an alcohol and drug problem, amongst other things. Uh, let's see, this is unfortunate. JMP says, my sister lives in Tennessee, fully vaxxed, just got her fifth time having COVID. Hello. I'll say one thing about that. And this has a lot to do with Chataria. I was very adamant that that was the wrong path to take. And I know for a lot of people, it was very difficult. Jobs were at stake, families were at stake, but I was adamant it was the wrong path to take. And I feel like that there was this support inside of this little world that we occupy, our little temporary autonomous zone, from 9-11 a.m. to 10-41 a.m., there's a little Hakeem Bay reference, um, that, that people had each other's back, that they understood that they weren't alone by having to be on an island with this whole thing. And I, and I gotta give you guys credit for that, right? I gotta give you credit. You showed up, you know, you talked about the things that were, were not working. For a lot of you, it was family members. Some of you, it was jobs. We have medical professionals that, had, that had said, okay, I've done this for a long enough time, I'm gonna retire. This is my, this is my finish line right here. They, they basically painted it in, in, the, in the imaginary ground for me. So I'm not here to, you know, do a, you know, a rooster strut, but we knew. We knew all along. Does it give us any solace to see all these other people struggling and, and people that we know and love? And our I lost two relatives because they got put on the fucking tube and they were just magically, magically diagnosed as having the vid. You're gone, managed out. Both of them had underlying conditions, don't get me wrong. But, so now we're watching they're, we're watching the uh, residual effects 
of what happened. And the further we move out from this experience and point of time, I think the more that you can give yourself some credit for sticking to your guns and uh, doing the right thing, even if it was painful. And we're not done, we're not through. And, and by the way, if you did get uh, jabbed and you are listening, you know, uh, there's no judgment. And I see this, I see this on, online. It's like somebody will, you know, will have an adverse effect and, you know, they'll spaz out. Now I use the word spaz. Uh, they'll spaz out and they'll, they'll uh, be hospitalized. And it's like, I don't take any, any glee in that. Like, that does not, you know, raise my schadenfreude. It doesn't. I don't want people to have to go through that. That's hell. And a lot of these people did it because they were, in their minds, they were forced to, coerced to. You know, they wanted to do the right thing. It was, it was you know, like the socially responsible thing to do. Like, I'm not going to hold that against them. I hope that somehow they can, you know, heal and uh, not show up at my door as a zombie wanting to eat me. The people I don't have a lot of empathy for are the people that made fun of people like us. I don't have any empathy for those people. They deserve everything they get. I'm sorry, but it's true. They deserve everything they get. If you were a cocksure, you know, vaccine promoting, pushing asshole, and you were trying to denigrate people, shame them around either being conspiratorial or afraid of the jab, and um, you know, you're six feet under, and there's videos, I have no sympathy, empathy, or compassion. You deserve everything you got. Is that cruel? These other folks, I gotta have, I gotta hold a space for them because they were, they, were, they were human, and that's probably the, uh, the biggest piece. They were human. Um, look at that. Chris and Steve, Anna just picked up a five-CD set of early Kansas. They were my cool band that no one knows about in high school. Then Dust in the Wind, and I was no longer cool. Yeah, Kansas was one of those bands that were like, oh, they're interesting. They were a little proggy. Kansas had Kansas was interesting. A little proggy, a little folky. And then they had the, the records are immaculately produced, by the way. Immaculate. Uh, let's see. Uh, Jackie said, I begged them not to get vaxxed. My mother said to me while visiting, I might have been right. It's a hard reality. It's a hard reality these people are occupying now. I remember getting a cold wasn't a big deal. I know, right? Kabuki Theater says jab are becoming suspicious regarding this. Yes, they are. That's This is probably a good transition to talk about Pelosi. I've been uh, kind of... Uh, but I love you guys. I love talking to you guys. Taze is touting James McMurtry, the singer-songwriter. 
who I believe lives in Austin. Pam Jerome, what's going on, Pam? I just got to go through here. Uh, Laura Branigan. Got a Laura Branigan story there. Uh, let's see, anybody else, anybody else? God, it's a great, great group today. But we must get on with the show. Oh, Yacht Boys, Johnny Cruz. Right on, Johnny. Good to see you. Pulled the wool over our eyes. We thought it was Robin. Um, Capricorn decided I was changing betting last at 4.30. Transformation. Transformation. Uh, let's see. Kelly B, uh, almost a year since I lost my bio mom. Yep. Yep. Taze, I was going to talk about this, Taze. Uh, Taze uh, texted four or five doctors died within the greater Toronto area in the month of July. Yeah, I saw that. That was, that's an issue. You got uh, doctors, you got nurses, it's happening. Now, this may or may not be related. Um, that, and I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to shift over here. Let me let me do a quick shout out to TrueM Science, and then we're going to get into the show. Is everybody voting for Lisa, who's gone on to the second? The goal here for Lisa is to get up on that stage, do her thing. Do a shout out to Chattaria. Donate $1,000 to the event and cover a yacht classic of our choice. I just added that third. So Lisa, if you're listening, uh, bone up on your yacht. Okay, so we're gonna talk a little true hemp science here. You guys know I talk about it every day. There's a reason why I do it. Again, last night, stayed up late, was freaking out. Am I gonna be able to sleep? I'm gonna be able to sleep. And guess what? The gummy kicked in and you gotta give the gummy about a half an hour. Give the gummy half an hour and then your life gets considerably better. So that's, that's, uh, that's what I did. And I've been, I've been doubling up with uh, gold kratom at night when I go to bed. And the gold kratom is more for my body uh, than anything else. Because gold kratom is amazing when it comes to you. So you have a couple of things working on your body at night for inflammation. You have the CBD, which is also helping you sleep. And then I got the gold kratom kicker. But that's all I do, right? So, I mean, a lot of people say, you know, kratom is addictive, uh, whatever. If I didn't take it at night, I wouldn't miss it. But I feel better in the morning. My body doesn't have all these like aches and pains and creaks, and I don't feel like I'm becoming a stick man. All right, so we got True Hemp, Science, True CBD, uh, lots of great products. And the thing, the key here is to use them consistently, right? It's almost like a homeopathic approach to personal wellness. Um, I have a friend who has been really struggling for a long time hooked her up with Chris, uh, sent her some, some product, 
And she said, nothing happened. Well, this is, this is no slight to my friend. I said, you have to take this over a period of time. Because what it's doing is it's resetting things in your body. It's not like an allopathic pill where you pop a pill and all of a sudden it goes in and shit starts to happen, whether it's good for you or not. Right? This is a little bit different. Some people um, have a different, you know, kind of neuroreceptor setup for CBD. The first time I took CBD, I got fucking high. It was in Houston. I was doing this event in Houston. And I took some CBD and it was like, wow. I'm kind of floating around this hotel right now. So everybody has a different set of neuroreceptors with this. And um, the key here is you want to stay with it long enough. And I would stay two to three weeks so you could actually objectively see how it's working for you. The other thing, and I, I haven't really talked with Chris about this, but if you're taking something else besides the CBD, that's, you have to take that into account. I'm not a medical doctor. I'm not suggesting that you drop whatever you're taking and embrace the uh, more homeopathic and natural solution to your health issues. But I do think it's an issue. Just saying. Uh, TrueHempScience.com backslash rep backslash 23. That is the uh, URL. You get $100 a product. Type in 15MINS and you get more product. Spend $150 and you'll get free shipping. All right. Let's, uh, let's jump into the Pelosi. Boondoggle. Does anybody use the word boondoggle? Somebody, uh, I think it was Jason Whitlock. He used the word balderdash the other day. We need to bring back balderash, falderall, and boondoggle. Our language used to be so much more colorful. Now you've got 25 people getting songwriting credits on one Beyonce track. And it's like, you know, fuck yo, fuck yo, I'm back, bitch, I'm back, bitch, I'm back, bitch, fuck yo, right? 25 people got songwriting credits for that. Good job. It's a Ponzi scheme. The hip hop people figured that out. Right, they're like, hey, let's get a bunch of people on here. So we've got to make a bunch of money. And you look at the look at the lyrics. Like, I mean, I could have wrote those fucking lyrics. And I'm a six year old white guy, but I could put my 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 head into that world and come up with uh, those kinds of lyrics. Beyonce took the knee, by the way, because she was talking about spazzing that ass. Because spaz and as sound alike. Wow. Great. And apparently, the uh, disabled people of the world, particularly the disabled people in England, because spaz has a different meaning in England than it does in the US. We talk about spaz and as. What the fuck? Spaz. You know, wasn't spaz a guy from Revenge of the Nerds or something like that? But in England, a spaz is related to somebody who has a neuromuscular disorder and they can't control their body. 
So they call it spazzing out. And it's much more prevalent in England as a derogatory term, apparently. So Beyonce had to remove the lyrics from her tune. And I use the word tune uh, in a very uh, loose term here. Oh, God. Diane Warren, who's a big songwriter, openly questioned on Twitter, why are there 25 people getting credits on this song? Watch out, Diane. You're going to get canceled. You don't question that shit. All right, let's talk about uh, Nancy Pelosi. Something big is going on here. Um, I'm going to try to connect a few dots. And first of all, uh, last week I talked about my friend living in Western Oregon. Well, not really Western, Salem. And the company she worked for just closed the stores immediately. Like, done. We're done. No warning, nothing. People showed up. They said, we'll send you your ship. Geico just closed every office in California. Every single one. Done. So if you were a Geico employee in an office in California, you no, you no longer have a job. Done. Now, um, Geico, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, is owned by Warren Buffett. Pretty sure about that. So Geico has um, made a big statement here. So what's going on now? We're having these massive closures. No warning closures. Ironically, perhaps, synchronistically, maybe there's a pattern here. Both of these companies were on the West Coast. What's going on there? And does Warren Buffett know something that we don't, more than likely. So something big is happening. And the insurance world is a Taurus in Scorpio operation, right? Like insurance is the biggest scam of all fucking time. I, I, I hate insurance. I had this radical theory that if nobody was insured with their cars, they'd drive a lot safer. That was my theory. Years ago, I was ahead of my time. I didn't even know it. Because is, wouldn't that be true? Like, if you didn't have any insurance and you had to pay for your shit, like, you would pay extra close attention to what you were doing. And accidents do happen, according to Elvis Costello. They do happen. And sometimes they're not your fault. But that's life. That's life in a world without insurance. Health insurance, again, another big scam, unless, of course, it rolls into something that you can pluck at the end of your life and now you can cash it out. I mean, I just think insurance is a scam, total scam. Um, but it's a, it's, a, it's a Taurus Scorpio thing because you're paying somebody your physical assets that go into Scorpio world, which is theoretically there for the time that you need it. And how many times have we seen people who have suffered some kind of disaster with their homes get totally fucked with their insurance? 
a lot. Like the fires in Southern California, those people, if they could get insurance, because they kind of lived in a fire zone, if they could and they had it, those companies were only paying like two thirds on their house. They were never able to rebuild. They may get some money, but they were, you know, off somewhere else and if they owed money on their house. I mean, there's a lot of shit that goes into it. So even if you have insurance and something happens to you, there's no guarantee, especially with houses, that you'll be fully covered. Like how about those people in paradise? That's another example, flood insurance. You know, there are companies that, hey, we'll, we'll pay half, take it or leave it. There's a little tiny clause in here that you didn't see. And this is what we're offering you. So now, Geico, completely out of California, overnight, boom, no warning, done. This company in Oregon, by the way, national company, national product distribution, Walmart, done. So what's going on here? What, what do these companies know that we don't know or we intuit and we're all running around feeling like, you know, uh, the kid in uh, third grade back in 1965 versus 1963 and um, any, any minute, you know, the uh, alarm will sound in, in the school and then you'll have to, you know, huddle under your desk, right? Remember those days? Unannounced. All right, boys and girls, get under your desks. That's kind of where we are. Like we're waiting for that, you know, that alarm to ring so we can climb under our desks. Except there's no desk. Now, Pelosi, being in Taiwan, I think there's a lot of different things going on there as we finally get to the topic du jour. First of all, there are the optics. The optics are Pelosi as this great warrior. She is an Aries. She's a headstrong Aries. Ron, uh, or Paul rather, Paul Pelosi is also an Aries. A couple of Aries marrying each other. I told this story before. I used to ride the elevator with Paul Pelosi because he owned the building that I worked in. And the Pelosi's office was on the third floor and our office was on the second floor. And they had, the, they had some serious influence because I worked for this magazine. And uh, the magazine started off with one series of owners. And then they brought in another series of owners. And the owners that they brought in came through the Pelosi's. And it was this guy, uh, Ted Venetoulis, who's from Maryland. Uh, he had run for, I think he had run for congressman or senator or some shit like that in Maryland. He lost. There was like a lot of weird kind of corruption, grafty stuff with Ted. You know, I knew, I, I knew him through the office. He'd come in every now and then. I'd talk to him. Hey, he was okay, whatever. Uh, so he was from there. And then this woman, Vicki Bagley, who also came from Maryland. So both of them knew the Pelosi's, which is, and of course, Nancy is from Maryland. Um, Paul Pelosi's from San Francisco. So they encouraged them to buy this magazine. We'll put the office in our building. 
Right. So I had this weird kind of six degree separation from the, from the Pelosi's and, and I knew who they were, but back then they weren't who they are now. They were powerful. Nancy Pelosi was the head of the democratic party in California. And then she eventually started to run for office and, you know, she's never been contested at all. Every one of her races has just been a complete and utter massacre, utter massacre. I think um, the closest anybody got was another Democratic candidate got 22% of the vote in the primary. That's the closest. So she's never experienced a challenge um, in the state, in, in uh, California or San Francisco. But they set up the magazine for their various interests. Ted wanted to get into politics in California. He thought by using the magazine and leveraging the magazine and connecting. And I think at that time, um, San Francisco had, if I'm not mistaken, a Greek mayor in Art Agnos. He was the mayor. So I think Ted thought that he was gonna be one of his paisons or something. And then Vicky wanted it for the, the social stuff. She was, she was a socialite. And so we always had this kind of like socialite section in the magazine. Vicky, you know, go to these parties. And that was her thing. And none of it worked. And eventually it all collapsed. Anyway, so she's there. She's the warrior, right? She's defying China. And it's all part of this weird script. China, by the way, uh, uh, Taiwan, which is also known as the National Republic of China, that was their name. Apparently, uh, the People's Republic of China, or China that we know, got very upset with them for having that name. And they, uh, I guess they brought it up in the world court or some stupid shit and said, you can't do that. You know, we are China, you're not China. And they had to change their name to Taiwan. So they've got a, they got a brand issue. But people who live there still believe they're the National Republic of China. So Pelosi going there, but, but let me get back to that point. Taiwan, has, Taiwan is not recognized. Like they are not recognized as an independent country. I did not know that, by the way. So based on it not being recognized by this country, the United States of America, we cannot have any diplomatic ties with Taiwan. Did you know that? But we have fucking diplomatic ties to China. And, you know, we could spend the next eight hours talking about China. But we have diplomatic ties with them. So we, we don't even recognize Taiwan. Think about that for a second. So theoretically, because we can't send a diplomat to China, we have to send the highest ranking official, who in this case would be Pelosi, who is number three behind Biden and Harris. What is Pelosi acting like? She's acting like a president. That's what she's acting like. She's acting like a president. What is Nancy Pelosi really doing here? If Joe, if Joe Biden is dead, and I believe he's dead now, and there are people say, well, he died two years ago. 
Maybe that's the case. Or maybe he was kind of vegetalized, right? So they have a guy playing Biden, they have these deep fakes, they have all this shit that they can do, but they can't do it forever. So whatever happened with this whole Middle Eastern thing, the Saudi Arabia thing, you know, maybe the guy's acting, maybe the guy really is like losing his marbles, maybe he is really sick. There, we're in a weird transition here because I don't think, I don't think that version of Biden comes out of this thing alive. So now we talked about Harris, right? And how Harris uh, has been jockeying to become president. And that's a fact. Like there's all this infighting going on and has been between the Biden camp and the Harris camp. So Harris wants to become president. But what about Pelosi? Do you remember the video where Pelosi said that she could be president? Do you remember that video? And people thought that she was snocker, which she probably was. But she was telling you something. She was telling you that somehow she has plans to become the fucking president of the United States. And it could happen. That's another one of these kind of, you know, Mandarin plots that's going on behind the scenes. So we have, it's really funny. What was it? Um, I saw this. I saw this meme of Pelosi, and uh, it was called uh, Maverick, and it was her like in the uh, you know one of the jet fighters, but she had like these big boobs because Pelosi's got some big boobs. They're, you know they're fake, right? Like you go back and you look at um, earlier pictures of Nancy D'Alessandro. And then, you know, they weren't Hooterville. Somewhere along the way, she went to Hooterville. So the, the Maverick thing was actually pretty funny. Um, so she's out there, right? Like, look at me. I have the cojones to go to Taiwan. She's kind of modeling herself as a leader. That's one thing that's going on here. Harris didn't go. Right? Harris did not go. This is something bigger. And remember, Newsom was at the White House. Now, Newsom and Harris have a relationship. They're both from San Francisco. Um, at least, you know, Kamala moved to San Francisco after she... Um, got on her knees and basically, you know, crawled, crawled across the Bay Bridge from Oakland because she was the DA in Oakland. And um, they have a relationship, but Newsom has an even tighter relationship with Nancy Pelosi. They're, they're related. He was at the White House, unannounced back door. Who was he there to talk to? I mean, he could talk to um, Nance anytime, probably but maybe he was there to talk with her. Maybe it was her and him and Kamala. And they were having their little uh, playbook moment. But I think Pelosi is posturing. This is, this is marketing. This is a brand. That's one thing. She's tough. She's a warrior. 
she's going to come back. She's going to say, well, I took it on China. Look what happened. The other thing is that Taiwan produces a lot of computer chips. Now, Pelosi may have some business interests. I don't know. I haven't deep dove enough to get into all of her myriad business interests, but it wouldn't surprise me if she has uh, business interests with chip manufacturers in Taiwan. And that's a big deal. And one of the things that, uh, that you need for chips is guess what? You need sand. Guess who supplies Taiwan with sand for their chips? China. So China has said, we're not gonna send you more sand. Now, could Taiwan do a sand deal with Australia or a sand deal with the Philippines? Who knows? I don't know. But they probably have a limited amount of sand. I mean, the Chinese have a whole fucking desert of sand. I mean, the Gobi Desert is a chip farm. No shortage of sand there. A lot of people think sand just comes from a beach. No, sand comes from deserts too. So what does this now mean for Taiwan? The other thing that apparently is happening is now China is gonna to start to eliminate its US bonds, which they've been holding on to for a very long time. That's an act of war. And does Pelosi know this? Of course, of course, they're creating more chaos, more controversy, more unease in people's lives. And she is um, trying, in my estimation, to figure out how to continue to receive chips from Taiwan for the semiconductor business if they have to have some kind of um, rupture with the supply chain in China. Remember, companies are leaving China. They're leaving China. And we've talked about this. They're like, we're getting out there. They're going to Vietnam. They're going to Mexico. They're going to India. They're going to Bangladesh. They're going to all these other places. And one of the reasons why they're leaving, and it's not because they had some kind of awakening in their moral conscience uh, got switched on. It's getting too expensive to do business in China. It, it's a, a, a byproduct of its own success. You have to pay people more. You have to pay the Chinese more. And the people in the Chinese sometimes are the same, sometimes they're not the same. Right? So they're looking around going, well, we want our profit margin. Let's go to Vietnam. Let's go to the Philippines. Let's go to Mexico. Those things are starting to happen now. And it's more of a byproduct of, you know, the economy and greed, really, than anything else. So Nancy Pelosi's visit to China at a high level for her is accomplishing this idea that she is the most competent person in the country to put herself in a situation where it's been marketed as being dangerous. She's putting herself out there as being a warrior. 
going to Taiwan in the face of China's threats. And again, this could just all be one big part of their fucking script. Right. Okay, Nancy, this is what you got to do now. Don't worry, China's going to, you know, be puff the magic dragon. Don't worry about it. It's just puff the magic dragon. It's puff the magic dragon until somebody until they change the script. It's like, oh, you thought we were playing by that script. <laughs> we have our own script, right? It's like that's how this shit works sometimes. And Nancy Pelosi comes from a gang family. She comes from a mob family in, in Baltimore. The D'Alessandro Lombardi family are from Baltimore, and they are gang-related. And the weird, but the weird thing about Nancy, and again, I was, I was trying to do this deep dive last night. The internet is so fucked. Like, when you do a search on the internet now, you're rarely getting an article that's pre-2020. Try it. Try it sometime. Go on to um, go on to Google. Go on to DuckDuckGo. It's rare when you find an article that is pre twenty twenty. It's like the information fence. Twenty twenty is the information fence. There's a before and an after, and the before it's hard to get to now. And with Google, you know, you have the search results with Google. You could go down to like number 40 and you might, you might find some things. DuckDuckGo, they don't, you don't do that with DuckDuckGo. You just go more results, more results, more results, more results, more results. You can just more result that thing for the next two hours and maybe you'll find something. And the difference now than say, we can even go back 10 years ago, is the amount of content that's made. Like, there's so much fucking content now. So being able to pick from things from 2020, like from 2020 to 2022, the amount of content that's available is probably equal to or greater than the amount of content that was made between, say, 2010 and 2020. That's why a lot of older content showed up on... Um, the search results for a long time because that's what was available. Now they don't have to do that. They've got way too much content and they could be selective and just type in the elbow, you know, most recent, that's all they have to do and put a cutoff date and you know, that's what's going to pop up in the search results. So it's hard to find things. Very hard to find things. So the research ability on the internet is very difficult now. Like, it's almost over with. And that's why it's challenging to find things about uh, Pelosi's family. But there were some interesting things about Pelosi's family. Like, her father spoke uh, Yiddish. Like, how the fuck does her father speak Yiddish? Maybe he was one of those great men and multilinguists. But he spoke Yiddish and uh, kept telling everybody that he was a Shabbos Goy. Was he really? I don't know, maybe. Nancy's always had an inordinate amount of love from the Israeli press, inordinate. Every now and then she'll get kind of raked over the coals for something that might sound remotely anti-Semitic, but I guarantee you um, that's really the exception more than the norm. So that's another part of what's going on here, right? The silent partner, like what's the silent partner's role in all of this? 
course, the silent partner that I'm referring to would be Israel. Because we just talked about China, and we talked about, the, like, there's, like, weird shit going on in Israel. Do you even really know who's in charge right now? Like, Naftali Bennett was there, and he's gone. Uh, we had, what's his name, Bibi. Bibi was there for fucking ever. And now he's gone. Where's Bibi? Bibi is on Yahoo. But why did I, my good friend Donald Trump, I'm very happy to be here. Um, he's gone. So who the fuck is in charge? I don't know. I'm usually up on these things. I don't even know. Probably find out. But, you know, something weird going on there. The other weird part is that uh, Israel is no longer allowing cash purchases of $1,500 or more. If you're going to spend $1,500 more there, you're going to have to use, you know, digital currency or something trackable. No more. They're, they're throttling down on the cash there. So I would say uh, sell high in the shekel. Because that's the other piece. We never really know what's happening with the silent partner. There is the silent partner. So we're rounding, uh, rounding up today's show. Why is Nancy Pelosi there? Number one, she is there for image and brand. Number two, I believe she's somehow trying to position herself as being the leader of the United States and quite possibly finding a way into the presidency. She even said that in a state of emergency, she could become the president. Remember that. She said that. And a lot of people thought she was off her rocker. Was she? Or was she actually involved in some kind of predictive programming that was telling us what she's going to do? And what does she cost? She's caused a bit of a stir, hasn't she? Which could turn into what? An emergency. All right, we're about ready to get out of here. I think I got, what, uh, five minutes? But I want to show you guys something. And I think this is really interesting. At least I do. Um, uh, Babel Finance. Took a big hit. This is from five days ago. Uh, Babel Finance is a uh, crypto lender. So here we go. This is from five days ago. This is right here. Crumbling Tower Babel traded 280 million of users' crypto, lost it all. What did we talk about on Sunday night? We talked about the Tower Babel and as related to this Uranus Mars True Note event. And of course, when we talk about Taurus and Scorpio, we're talking about hard assets, soft assets, 
you know, real assets, virtual assets. And here we go. Crumley Tower Babel. This broke five days ago. I didn't read it. I had no idea that this was, I didn't, even, I didn't even know Babel existed in the crypto world. The Hong Kong-based crypto lender apparently had other designs. Once worldwide user base handed over their crypto to the company, then just borrowing and lending. It seems to have been doing what everyone else does with crypto, rapidly speculating, trying to make line go up. Of course, all that changed when the line no longer went up. The block reported based on restructuring proposal documents that Babel Finance had lost 8,000 Bitcoin and 56,000 Ether in June, worth close to $280 million. Through the course of the price, the price is constantly fluctuating. The, uh, the company had apparently been conducting proprietary trading with customers' funds. Oh, did the customers know that? Maybe, but people are greedy. And we're like, okay, this is great. Free money, go do it, you know what you're doing. It's just another example of the synchromistic universe, right? The astro-mystic universe at work. We talk about Babel falling, and look, Babel's really falling. And it's falling in those two areas, those two zones that are defined by crypto in a lot of ways. Okay, um, sad to say, but the yacht is pulling into the dock and uh, I must uh, disembark. But we'll be here setting sail tomorrow at 9-11. And um, don't be late. And I'm doing my best to be here, right here with you. We are on sea time, which is point of departure. Take care, have a great day, stay strong. Uh, and uh, as Tom Baudet once said, keep the light on. Actually, Hotel 6 was going to keep the light on, but you keep the light on. Take care. Bye for now. Use your head in order to turn your heart to what's possible. I'm Robert Phoenix. See ya.